Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. To Grape Top Church Online, I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Um, we have finished our 21-day fast. Give yourselves a round of applause, yeah? That 21 days of uh, fasting and prayer, and last night we ended by having a night of worship, and man, it was just such an incredible time uh, for us to just be able to really um, have just an authentic worship session to where uh, it was really a time for people to share their heart and like kind of activate spiritually, and even we had time to pray for one another. Um, it was just really a great time, and I don't know about you guys, uh, but Lauren was like really ready for this fast to end. Uh, me too, me too. But man, it's like there's a different fasts are different every year. But this year is like she told me the day that we stop, I want us to get Whataburger after church. This is like preemptive. Like we're doing it. I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, you got it, honey. But um, this was uh, I really, I really feel like God moved in this fast. He does every year, but um, I felt so much more engaged uh, this 21 days. It's really easy, like after the second week of fasting, for it to just turn into a hunger strike, and I felt really engaged spiritually throughout this fast. Um, And so anyway, congratulations to all of you, and it's also the last day of the New Testament challenge. 30 days in reading the entire New Testament within the first month of January. Today's the last day, reading through the whole book of Revelation um, in just two days. And it's a powerful, powerful book to go through. So again, hand of applause to you guys. Y'all did great. Let's get into today's message. We are continuing, uh, finishing off our series, Salt and Light. Salt and Light. And I want to share this scripture it, it's where the, the term comes from. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world. A city set on, uh, set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as we start to, uh, today's message, this, this whole series, I actually wanted to talk about this, this scripture, salt and light. And I find it really interesting when we think of the idea of when he says that he calls us to be salt i've heard so many different messages about what that what that's supposed to resemble i've heard people talk about how the salt well that represents the anointing of god and it's like okay well what does that mean <laughs> well no the salt that re- that represents holiness and without holiness you know and that it go off of that and it's kind of just, at the end of the day, every time I've heard this scripture talked about, it's not really explaining what salt is. It's just replacing what salt is. 
Y'all get what I'm saying? If he said, if he meant holiness, then he would have said holiness. If he meant anointing, he would have said it. But he says salt and it and talks about this, this taste to salt. And so when you break down the idea of what salt is, we, we, can, uh, we can start off by being really spiritual. I'm like, well, you know what? Salt preserves. It preserves things. Yeah, that's true. Salt can, can also be used to, uh, to stop infection. But I think the most common benefit to salt, and it's even in the verse, is that it can make bad food taste good. Amen, right? For, you know, most of my childhood, I did not put salt on things because I thought it was bad for you. And it wasn't. I'm, I'm serious. I missed out. And it wasn't until I was an adult. I was like, well, let me see what's up. And I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. Make a steak. Just put some. You can never put too much salt on a steak that you're about to grill. I found that out to be completely true. You could just throw a whole thing. You could just plant it in salt both sides and it'll just be great. And salt, one of the, the major benefits is that it can make things better. In fact, it can make things bearable. <laughs> Ever some, have some bad food? It's like, man, yeah, this stew is great, Aunt Karen. <laughs> Add some salt on that mug. like, it's bearable now. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's the simplest, it's the simplest idea. We like to make the simple things complicated. But at the end of the day, it says it right in the verse. What benefit is salt if it's tasteless? <laughs> he, he describes the taste to it. It's so simple. And so... This being a major benefit, we have to understand that when he calls us to be salt, he's called us to be able to walk into any bad situation and make it better because we have the grace of Jesus with us. We can walk into chaos, into a storm, but because we have the peace of God with us, we're able to make it better. We can make it bearable. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's the spirit of God that can make bad things good. That's what this idea of salt is. And the light, the light, that's this idea of illuminating truth, love, glory. I mean, when you think about understanding the love of God, most people that are far away from God do not understand the love of God, of how authentic and real it is. And it's our job to simply illuminate the truth of God, which is that he loves the world, that he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to pay for the world and its sins. And that his whole mission is, is, is to reunite mankind in relationship to him. It, it, our job is to give light to that. And when he says, uh, when he says uh, to even so that people could see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven, notice that he attributes that anything that we do that is worthy of the idea of being good, he says it gives glory to God. And that you as Christians, you as believers, that just the, 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 the act of living, uh, quote-unquote, a, a, a pursued life of goodness, a pursued life of Jesus, you are glorifying God just in that lifestyle. He's saying, and it, you're, what he's saying is that we should not be ninja Christians to where no one even knows that you're really an, a Christian. But it should be... Uh, obvious for anyone to see be the light don't be hidden 
but be the light. So I want us to, to go in depth and unpack this idea even more. And today's title is Knowing Your Worth. Knowing Your Worth. And my heart in this message is for us to really grasp this idea of where your worth comes from. I don't know about you, but for me, in my faith, I struggled with the idea of feeling any kind of worthiness from God uh, and His love. I, I struggled so much to the point where I would have suicidal thoughts and thinking that I wasn't good enough for God's love. I, I would digress in the fact that I went to really toxic and abusive ministries that portrayed uh, and helped invoke this idea that I wasn't worthy of God's love because of their legalism. But all that aside, I struggled because I, at the end of the day, I was insecure in my faith, just like many of us are. And we fall short. And we, we, when we see our mistakes, it just is like a, another rock on, on our shoulders to weigh us down when we don't understand where that worth comes from. So let's, let's start off with the taste of your faith. The taste. The tastiness of your faith. Don't trade your faith's flavor for a religious show. Don't trade your faith's flavor for a religious show. Your testimony, your story is incredibly meaningful. Your story is incredibly meaningful. Every part of it. It is what makes up the uniqueness of your faith. And you should never trade that out in order to fit into a religious mold that certain people may find acceptable. I want us to take this idea of that churchianity, that mold, that Sunday suit, that idea of Christian perfection, that idea that a lot of, a lot of you have grown up in and it made you almost hate God and hate church because of that mold that you just didn't really seem to fit into. Y'all know what I'm saying? And we, we've been taught almost in our culture that, that you have to lose yourself, like lose your personhood. The Bible says lose yourself to find yourself. But what it's saying is, is lose all of the fleshly things that we have put our identity in and we'll actually find who we were created to be. But it doesn't, it's not implying that you should lose your uniqueness. It doesn't imply that you should lose your personality. In fact, the closer you get to Christ, the more you find your authentic personality. And what I've found is that we put on this this Christian churchy mold. I, I call it churchianity instead of Christianity. And it's this mold that you have to fit into to where there's a lot of unspoken rules and don't say that, don't do this. Oh, we don't act that way. And you don't really know why, but you just, you don't want to be an outcast. You don't want to be called out. And so you kind of just go through the motions. I mean, think about even the first time that maybe you lifted your hands in church. If you've ever lifted your hands during worship and a lot of people for the first time that they lifted their hands, it wasn't because they're lifting up the surrendered heart of authentic worship. 
It was because everyone else was, and it felt embarrassing not to. And I don't know how many times I've, I've been in these moments where I, I'm an observer. And especially since I wasn't raised in church, I was like, I got to keep my eye out. <laughs> Make sure no one is doing anything crazy around me. And I would notice people just like really in zone like, singing some old hymns. I mean, like real worship, right? Because they were old hymns, not this new devil stuff. And getting real into it. And then there'd be some like little kid that was playing around. And man, I've never seen a deacon switch so fast. <laughs> like, it's like complete change. Like, why isn't that kid in kids' church where they belong? separated from us authentic worshipers to go learn about the nursery rhymes and whatnot. And see, in a moment, it, it, it's just like this switch went off and forgets all about the scripture where Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. I remember the first time I was holding this kid's hand in prayer and he's just like playing. I was like, stop it. <laughs> Cut it out. And man, that kid had like ADHD, but... <laughs> I remember in this church that he was, he was so full of life, so full of joy. And if that was fostered within the church, he would have been so vibrant in his faith, been passionate. But because it was constantly stifled, because it didn't fit in the mold of orderly worship, of orderly church, he was always getting got after, always getting snapped at. That boy hates church now. He hates it because he didn't fit into the mold. Now, I want to, I want to, I want us to really just break this idea of acceptable faith, these acceptable molds to where we, we stop feeling embarrassed for our imperfections, where we stop feeling embarrassed for our story. I, I'm really straightforward about my testimony now for those of you who don't know i was not raised in church and i had never uh, was never taught the bible read the bible anything like that and in my little journey i started getting really into crime into violence into drugs into alcohol i would drink and smoke do drugs every single day but i would just go to school still <laughs> i don't know why but I would just live in this state. And for, for me, before I gave my life to Christ, my, when everyone was talking about what college they wanted to go to, my aspiration was maybe, just maybe, I could be a professional criminal. And one day, I can join either the cartel or some type of mafia and just grow within that. And I remember the moment that... Uh, a gang that I was contemplating of joining because I had options, you know. I had options. I was pretty crazy, so I had multiple t people, you know, wanting my resume to the point where one group, I wasn't even supposed to be able to join because I was white. But they told me, we can make an exception for you because you're so crazy. I mean, I was, I was wilding out. I remember this one moment when uh, a gang I was about to join and this leader per se told me, well, one of the, one of the things you have to do is you'd have to kill somebody. 
Are you willing to do that? And without hesitation, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I I, want to stop there. I I didn't end up killing someone because he talked me out of it. (laughs) I I guess the Holy Spirit came upon him. (laughs) And he was like, you don't know what you're doing. You need to think about it more. (laughs) I was like, okay, sir. (laughs) But I want to pause there because that was my history, right? And how I came to Christ was a beautiful, miraculous moment where I just started reading the Bible for the very first time and Jesus revealed himself to me. This street kid that never knew any better, never, was, never went to church, never was taught the Bible, anything like that. The most I knew is that my mom would have the Virgin Mary candles around the house. And I don't even think she knew what that meant, but it was just like, just in case, let's leave this out. And beautiful story. God completely changed my life. I was unrecognizable, but I was so embarrassed of my past. I didn't want anybody to know the things I used to do. To the point where once I started going to church, and I remember the first moments that the other, other people would come up to me like, why don't you dress up for church? Already trying to get that mold in you. Why don't you dress up to, for church? And I'm a quick thinker, okay? I had street smarts. I could uh, be socially aware and understand when I was uh, targeted. And so I changed everything about how I looked so that no one would even suspect where I came from. I literally intentionally stopped sagging my pants, stopped wearing baggy jeans, I'm, again, I was a street kid. And I changed everything about how I looked to where I got some right-fitting pants, belts on, some polo shirts tucked in. And I shaved my head and got these big, goofy glasses. Like, intentionally, before they were cool. Now it's like everyone's getting uh, these, these big, old people glasses. And, like, it's hipster. It's, it's boho. And it's like, dude, I invented that. I brought that. I remember when I got the glasses, I specifically got them so that people would think that I was like just this nerdy kid and specifically so that uh, people wouldn't be attracted to me. because I wanted to just completely separate, not anyone know what I was like. And I remember even getting those glasses and the person was like, are you sure about this? <laughs> oh yeah. And they're like, well, we can get the, you can get the thinner lenses. They're like, no, I want the bottle cap lenses. And I went to ministry school. No one suspected anything. In fact, I knew that I was succeeding in my cover-up when people tried to make fun of me and bully me. And it didn't even faze me because I was like, I could kill them. (laughs) And they don't even know it. This is great. (laughs) But people did start getting suspicious when they're like, is that a brand on your chest? You have a tattoo? And they get a little like, like, no, it's nothing. The point that I'm getting at is that for years, I hid my story because I thought that it took away glory from God. I was embarrassed of it, and I thought that it shamed Jesus. And then one day, I realized this incredible story in Scripture of a, of a man that was uh, known for having many demons— He's a demonomaniac. And 
No one could subdue him. No one could hold him. And that even that even when they would chain him up, he'd break the chains and he'd run around naked in graveyards, cutting himself with sharp stones. Now I never ran away naked, except that one time. But I remember the moments there that I would get so drunk and I'd wake up in a graveyard. I remember the moments where I would cut myself. And I remember this story just was peculiar. And as I read it, Jesus found him. And just in, in, this, in this short dialogue, he cast out all the demons from him. He cast out all the pain from him. And just like that, a, an encounter with Jesus, he was completely restored. He was unrecognizable from what he once was. I identified with that a lot. And he begged Jesus, let me go with you and your disciples. And Jesus said, no, stay here and go tell people what God has done for you. And I always thought that was peculiar, like, man, he just wanted to go with Jesus. Why didn't Jesus let him go? Did Jesus not want him? But see, what, what I realized was Jesus was telling him, you have everything you need to go minister the kingdom of God to others. And the same freedom you have found, you can show others. And all you need is your testimony. He didn't have any teachings you didn't have any uh, tabernacle ser- uh, Shabbat services. Shabbat is how they say the Sabbath in Hebrew. <laughs> that they, he didn't have any training or upbringing within godliness, anything like that. No understanding except his story, his encounter with Jesus. And that's all it took to, to make a difference for the kingdom. In fact, so much so that at this point of this story, when he was set free that region he was living in i think it was nine uh nine uh local uh, towns they they told jesus leave from here because uh your your teachings intimidate us so they literally asked jesus to leave well this man stayed went all throughout those nine uh, nine or ten i can't remember give me a break but nine or ten towns just share with only his testimony his his salty, savory story of faith, unique to him, outside the mold of all the Jewish and religious customs. And it was so moving and impacting that when Jesus came to that region again later, they all received him gladly and asked for him and begged him to share his teachings, to share what he had, because this one man went around sharing his story. All he had was this story. And so don't trade out your faith's flavor, your faith's story for a religious show. It's not worth it. It's a horrible trade, and you lose when you do that. Y'all feel that? Now let's go into the potential of your faith. Potential. No matter how big or small your faith is, it is able to make anything better. No matter how big or small your faith is, it is able to make anything better. Most people feel insecure about their faith. They have doubts, fears, feeling, uh, feelings of not doing enough for God, feelings of not being enough. And it's hard to imagine that your prayers are powerful when you feel like they aren't even strong enough to reach the ceiling. 
it, it makes me think about the parable Jesus gave about the mustard seed. Honestly, for years, I really couldn't wrap my head around that. Because I always thought that it meant like this, this like energy or something within you. That if it was just as big as a mustard seed, it can move mountains. Like if I pray for something and it's as small as a mustard seed, then it could do great things. And I was like, well, shoot, my, my faith must be even smaller than that. Because <laughs> I'm not seeing anything happen. And it would make me feel even more doubtful. But see... When Jesus shares this idea of faith being as small as a mustard seed, saying even if your faith feels that small, not just with prayers, but just your whole faith in general, the security of your faith, the confidence that you have in your faith, if that confidence that you have is as small as a mustard seed, which is a lot of us, super insecure, full of doubts, riddled with fear, it's mustard seed that has potential. It has potential to move mountains. And what it makes me think of is in the moments where just those little seeds of faith were planted in my life. For even, I remember the moments where I was in the middle of the street and super uh, intoxicated and just yelling out obscenities to God. But see, what, even with my blasphemy, I had this mustard seed side faith that I believed in this God. This, this little seed of faith that I was holding on to that God was there, I was just angry at him. When you understand that even that is faith, it helps change your perspective. To realize, even though that seemed really like ugly seed faith, it, it was enough to grow into the Christian that I am today. And I'm not saying I'm this great, uh, this great tree of faith. No. I often still feel like that little mustard seed. But to know that Jesus in his parable and sharing this, he's saying, he's, what he's really saying is that it doesn't matter how small you feel like your faith is. If you, if you just... Keep on to it, hold tight to it, treasure it, water it, whatever you got to do, it will grow. It has more potential than you realize. You don't have to be perfect. You can just take one step at a time. Just one step at a time. It makes me think about Peter. Peter, when you look at his story in scripture, he has a lot of doubts even though he has most doubts out of all the disciples uh, that are really share, share their story, he has so many doubts, and yet he's known as, being, as having such great faith. He was the one that walked on water while everyone else stayed in the boat. But when you look at where he started, the first, when Jesus got in his boat and said, let's go out to the water and catch some fish, man, was Peter irritated. He said, we've been fishing all night. Master, <laughs> um, but if you say so, the rabbi wants us to go out and fish because he, he heard from God. And see, it was just this little step that he took in going out to the water even while he was irritated. And then he told Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. See that insecurity? 
those doubts, those fears. And Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All the times that you felt insecure in your faith, fearful, doubtful, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. And see, he took another step when he got out of the boat and he followed Jesus. And every place that he went, it was just taking another step to where all of a sudden they don't have places to sleep and he's still taking these steps of faith with Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, we barely have any food, but let's feed 5,000 people too. And Peter's like, okay, bet. And he takes another step of faith and just listens to Jesus. See, he just all he's doing throughout his journey with Jesus is taking these steps. And then one day, Jesus is out on the water. And Peter just does the same thing he's been doing, and he just takes one more step. And he steps out onto the water, step after step. And most people get this part twisted. It says that he began to see the winds and the waves and started to get afraid, and he began to sink. And, and Jesus grabbed him and said, why did you doubt me? And most people like just heap it all on Peter right there. It's like, I, he doubted Jesus. He shouldn't have. But shoot, <laughs> there's a point where you're just walking in faith. I mean, even in our normal lives, you ever been at a job and you wanted that job so bad, you're passionate for it. You got the job. It was a miracle. You prayed for it. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of the job. Like, I'm not qualified to be here. How am I here? And you start freaking out. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to do this. Maybe with parenting, <laughs> praying for my kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what am I going to do with these kids? See, that was Peter in this moment. He just realized reality of where God had brought him and how much he really wasn't ready to be there. And when, Peter grabbed, uh, when Jesus grabbed him and said, why did you doubt me? It's because he was saying, why did you doubt me, ye of little faith? You're so, your faith is so small. He's saying, do you really think I was going to let you drown? That's what he was saying. He was talking about right then and there. He was like, Jesus, help me. That wasn't like, Jesus, I'm sinking. Oh, no. He said, I'm going to drown. And, and Jesus is like, you really think I was going to let you drown? Why did you doubt me? Why would I have let you do that? And what we need to take from Peter is that in all of these steps that he took, the moment that he was out on that water and his doubt outgrew his faith, Jesus was there to hold him up when he sank. Jesus was there to hold him up when he sank. And on all of our doubts and all of our fears, Jesus is there. He's not going to let you drown in what you're going through. Just, hold, just cry out to him. Hold on to him. Your, your faith is, is not something to be embarrassed of or ashamed of. He's right there with you and he's stepping with you. Just keep stepping and when you feel like you're sinking, Jesus is there to hold you above the water. Y'all feel that? Now let's go to our last point, which is the light of your faith. The light of your faith. Even the smallest match can illuminate a dark room. Even the smallest match can illuminate a dark room. Have y'all's power ever gone out before? Besides the summer, right? <laughs> In the summer when all of our power goes out. But talking about when you ever been growing up, 
and you didn't really understand it at the time, but it was actually your, the electricity pill <laughs> wasn't getting paid. And as a kid, you're just like, that's weird. <laughs> Why is mommy so stressed out? <laughs> Why is mommy yelling on the phone? I remember those moments where it'd be pitch black and <laughs> the candles, uh, you know, you just find these random candles over the years and even just a tea light candle, a teacup little candle, that small little candle in the middle of the night can illuminate a whole bedroom. It is just that little tiny fire to where it could be pitch black the minute you light that candle, all of a sudden you can see the walls. You, you can see the floor a little bit. You, you can see what you couldn't see before. And as a Christian, everywhere you go, you carry the torch of God's love. It may feel like that little match, that little tiny candle, but you carry that flame of God's love and you are a light in a very dark world. You are a light in a very dark world. And it's not about feeling it's more so about knowing. It's not about feeling. It's more so about knowing that you carry that light. You truly are an ambassador of God's love and his message. And you have a duty to bring it with you wherever you go. To share it. And I, I want us to really resonate in this aspect that this flame you carry is real. No matter if you feel like it or not. What I've found is when I am so used to air conditioning, I forget that it's on. But the minute that air conditioning goes out, I know exactly what I've been feeling and I just didn't really fully appreciate it. We each carry God's love and peace to a degree in our lives. And the longer that we are Christians, Really, the more that we have grown used to this presence we carry. Almost to where we get desensitized to it. And you don't realize that even when it feels like you don't have any peace at all, you carry something that other people don't. And everywhere you go, you bring that peace. Even in my most irritable moods. I've had people tell me like, man, I just, it's like the other day when you, when you showed up, I just felt like good, you know, like you carried like this presence with you, this vibe, this energy. And I was like, I would always just be so surprised to myself because I was like, man, that's crazy. Cause I was so irritated to be there. I, I was in such a bad mood when I showed up, but the, what I carried was independent of the way I felt. And I want us to understand this idea of, of sharing this light with others. It, it's more of like a churchy term to say, like, to witness to people or even share your faith with people. I, I really believe that showing God's love to others is like the perfect form of witnessing. That I, I, I would literally go to college campuses and, and witness to people this very traditional method, which is still useful and powerful, it's called the good person method, where I'd go around asking people, if you think you're a good person, do you think you'll go to heaven? It's the right comfort method. It's like real hardcore. 
And people will generally say like, yeah, or someone would think they're real hardcore, like, no, I'm going to hell. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody else, buddy. But, and you just, you just take them through the Ten Commandments. Say, well, have you ever said a lie? Have you ever stole something? Have you ever, you know, yada, yada. And every person in the entire world has broken all ten of the commandments. Even murder. Jesus said if you've ever hated someone in your heart, it's just as much as murder. And so by then you're like, well, I guess I would go to hell. And then you're like, well, there's good news because Jesus died on the cross and paid for that debt. And I'd go to college campuses witnessing to college students like that. I'd go to the malls, do stuff like that. But what I found is that I thought that was the only way you could witness people or share God's love. I've learned so much more now that... uh, (laughs) You don't have to be in such this rigid system of how to portray God's love or share God's love. It's actually very simple. Sometimes it's as easy as just inviting somebody to church or even opening a conversation about it. When I drove for Uber or Lyft, I would ask almost every single person that got my car. The conversation would always come up because people always want to ask their Uber driver, do you do anything else besides this? It's like, well, actually, I'm a pastor. I'm a church planter. And then I'd follow up with, and they would usually always go, oh, really? Or, oh. (laughs) And I'd follow up with, are you into church or anything like that? Super vague. I wanted it to be a broad spectrum to get their their feel. And they would say, well, kind of, or no, not at all. And I would just share my belief, I'd share why, I, how I believe in Jesus because I believed he rose from the dead. And, and how that, I, I realized how much he really genuinely loves me and that it was greater than anything else I ever experienced. And people would just be uh, like, just kind of curious, like, oh, wow, I've never heard it like that. I've never heard that someone believed in Jesus simply because he rose from the dead, even though that's what the Bible says is the foundation of our faith. And... I would, I would simply just extend this gesture. And the reason that most of us have withdrawn ourselves from extending this gesture, even just inviting somebody to church, is because we've been conditioned to believe that we don't want to offend people. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to be offensive. What if they don't believe? It's like, okay. <laughs> I, want to, I want to paint a picture for you. Let's say you're at work, and all of a sudden someone's throwing a party this weekend. But they invite every single person except for you. And they don't really tell you why. You just know that they didn't invite you. But their intention was they knew that you really weren't into the party scene, so they didn't want to offend you. So they didn't invite you at all. Me personally, I'd rather be invited and decline than to not be invited at all. In fact, to not be invited at all, I would get this almost vibe that they didn't like me. That I wasn't a part of their exclusive group. Now change that around to church. And that's what we have done by excluding people with the label of possibility of offense and we have excluded people and we've actually done more offense by 
not inviting people, not sharing this love with others, than if we were to have shared it and then decline. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And it doesn't have, I'm not, say, I'm not trying to say that church is this big party. Let's just say inviting to coffee. We're going to all have a lunch break and go to this coffee shop. Well, that person doesn't really drink coffee. So let's not invite them. Wouldn't you have even rather have just been invited? You could have gone to the coffee shop and not got coffee. A lot of people would even go to church even though they don't believe. They're just like curious of the experience. It is not offensive to share the best thing about your life with somebody else. The, what is offensive is if you try to save them yourself. If you try to tell somebody to repent before they ever know Jesus. You know, that's the, that's the wrong method. People are supposed to know the love of God first, and then that is what changes their lives, not the other way around. You don't have to change your life first, and then you're allowed to experience God's love. In Romans, it says it's because of God's kindness, because of his love, that it draws us to repentance. It's not even forced. It's just a natural reaction because we realize how much God's love is great. So I want to end with this, this verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, a lot of us get discouraged in our faith. A lot of us get down on ourselves, and even uh, our mind is just like crazy. To where even sharing this, some of you might already be beating yourself up. That is not what we're supposed to do. It, we should be built up, not beat up in our faith. Don't let your mind trick you into thinking that you're this horrible Christian. You're not. You're doing a great job. Just do your best and forget the rest. We're all in this together. We're all trying to run this race. It says in this verse, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing separates you from God's love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And it is, I want us to understand, we, we sometimes take verses and separate them. It says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victorious because of God's great love for us. It, it's so important to realize that our, our label of being more than conquerors is not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. It's dependent on God's love for you. It is why it follows you are more than conquerors, for I am convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is why you're more than a conqueror. So it's showing us it's not about what we feel or what we have done, but because of his love and what he has done. We are identified by his love for us, not our love for him. That's a powerful, powerful thing to realize. 
You're not identified by how much you love God. You're identified by how much God loves you. Why? Because our love may feel weak at times. Our love can feel even insignificant or even absent to where we feel like we're not even motivated to be a Christian, motivated to go to church, motivated to feel like we love God. Our love can be weak, but God's love is always strong. And that's why our worth is found in his love for us. Your worth is found in his love. With that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and you, this is just what you needed to hear today. You've been struggling in your faith. Been just everything with doubt, fear, insecurity, wondering if you're even saved, quote unquote saved. Wondering if, if you have a, if you even have a relationship with Jesus, you're just like confused and you needed to know today that your worth is found in his love for you, not your love for him. But that is where your identity is. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, right now, I pray for you to solidify the work that you have spoken. Your love is strong. Your love is great. Your love is glorious. Even when you have called us to be the light, to carry this flame, it's not our own. It is what you've given us. And it can't go out. Your love is so great. And I pray that you give confidence to the people here and then in their faith. With every head still bowed and eye closed, if you're here and you, you need to just have this surrendered moment to Jesus for the very first time. You've never made... A, a tangible decision, a moment in your life's timeline to where you just had this moment where you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and you want to do that today. A real decision, a real choice that you can look back on and know that this was the day that you gave your life to Christ. With every head bowed and eye still closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to Jesus yourself, that's all it takes to start this journey with him. It's all it takes to begin a relationship with Jesus today. So just there to yourself. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to Jesus yourself. Acknowledge what he did. Acknowledge the, the sacrifice he made on the cross. Acknowledge that you believe that he rose from the dead, that he's the son of God, and just talk to him. Talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. Even tell him what you want to happen from here. Just have this authentic conversation yourself with him. And while we do that, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. 
And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.